The question that this text is wrestling with is, who is wise? Where does wisdom come from? You know, these are important questions because, you know, our, our human wisdom, can it really provide for us what we need? Today's passage of Scripture ultimately wrestles with these questions. Who is wise and where is wisdom to be found? Now, before we look at the content of this, I need to make just a, a technical note here, and we need to look at the form of the structure here just for a second. Now, up till this point in the book of Daniel, it's been written in Hebrew, the language of the Jewish people and the language in which the majority of our Old Testament is written, um, which is why we call them the Hebrew Scriptures. However, here in chapter 2, something unique happens. In chapter 2, verse 4, we read, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, and from that point forward, from here until the end of chapter 7, the entirety of Daniel is in Aramaic. And then when we get to chapter 8, verse 1, it switches back to Hebrew and remains in the Hebrew language until the end of the book. Now, while this is not the only section of our Old Testament that we find where there's some Aramaic, we find some in Ezra and in Jeremiah, this is by far the longest Aramaic section, and we should just briefly ask the question, well, what does that mean? So without getting into the weeds, because it's an academic question in part, um, Aramaic was the language of Babylon, and it was the language of the known world in that day. And chapters 2 through 7 of Daniel, as we're going to see, had to do with the nations. It had to do with the royal courts. It had to do with the political power of that day. And chapters 2 through 7 seem to deal with God's purposes in history. His purposes with the nations. And really, chapters 2 through 7 are God revealing himself to the nations, to the peoples. And then what we find in chapter 1 and then chapter 8 through 12 of Daniel, God is more specifically reflecting on his special interest for his chosen people, the Hebrew people, and what is coming for them. And so we find that there's probably a divided reason why it switches from Hebrew to Aramaic and back. And so while there are other theories what we do see for clearly chapter 2 is dealing with the nations. It's dealing with how history for the nations is going to unfold. It's giving us this big picture of human history. But like I said, the primary question that's actually being asked in chapter 2 is not historical, not about the unfolding, although we do learn about the unfolding of history. The question that chapter 2 is primarily asking is philosophical, not historical. The question is, who is wise? Where is wisdom to be found? Now, verses 1 through 11 really begin by making a mockery of Babylonian wisdom. The king has a troubling dream, and so verse 2 says, Then the king commanded that the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And the king demands that the wisdom, the combined collected wisdom of Babylon, reveal to him both the content and the interpretation of his dream. Now, these four classes of people, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, they represent all of the wise men, 
all of the learned, all of the intelligentsia of Babylon, and the king gathers together them in all of their combined wisdom, all the combined wisdom of the known world, of the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time, and he says, reveal to me the content and the meaning of my dream. And can they do it? Who is wise? Where does wisdom come from? Now, we should note here that one of two things is happening. When the king asks them to reveal the content of his dream, what did I dream? One of two things is happening. Either one, he's forgotten. He woke up in the middle of the night totally troubled, remembered that he had a disturbing dream but can't remember the content of it. Or two, and what I actually think is more likely, I think the king actually knows his dream. But I think he doesn't trust his wise men. I mean, he knows that give anyone an open-ended dream and it's easy to give an interpretation that the person will like. It's easy to go, oh, well, that means this. And like, oh, well, good. That's what I wanted to hear. But the king recognizes something about this dream. This is serious. This seems to have serious implications. I don't just want them to play me. I don't just want them to tell me what they think I want to hear. I need to know that this is legitimate. So, he says, you need to tell me something about my dream so that I know you really know what's happening and then tell me what it means so I know that you're not just playing me. And friends, can the wisdom of Babylon do that? Can human wisdom reveal to him the truth? And really, verses 1 through 11 unfold kind of like a bad comedy routine. You know, it's like, you tell me my dream, it's interpretation. No, you tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. No, you tell me both the dream and the interpretation. Come on, king, stop kidding around. You know that's impossible for humans to do. You tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. Okay, now you're stalling for time. I was clear. Tell me both the dream or the interpretation or I'll kill you. Talk about a motivational speech. I'm going to try that in the office on Monday with Kevin. (laughs) For all their great learning and for all of the many adherents, the so-called wisdom of Babylon looks foolish and impotent in this exchange with the king. And these wise men conclude in verses 10 through 11. We heard Sue read for us. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king is asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Friends, all the wisdom of the world is not enough. Human learning has its limits. Human reasoning has its boundaries. Human comprehension eventually comes to an end. But these Babylonian wise men can only offer to the king one piece of truth. And that's in verse 11. No one can show it to the king except the gods. These wise men of Babylon, all their wisdom, they confess true wisdom can come from God alone. But they note the problem at the end of verse 11. They said, but the dwelling of God is not with flesh. If only, if only God would come to us in the flesh and reveal to us true wisdom. 
Well, their prayer is not answered by God himself in this instance, but their prayer is offered by one, is answered by one who is in the flesh, a human who speaks to and speaks for God in this situation, and that is Daniel. When Daniel and his friends hear the threats of the king, Daniel immediately requests a meeting with the king, and then he calls a prayer meeting with his friends. He says, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, pray. And I just want to make a quick note as an aside. Do you notice here, when they were together, they called each other by their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. However, we're going to find at the end of the chapter, when they were then dealing with Babylon and dealing in Babylon, they were known there by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Friends, no matter what the world has caused them and no matter how Babylon has tried to rename them, they continue to remember who they are. We belong to God. And more importantly, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel remember their God. And they say, our God is the God of wisdom. And so they cry out to him in prayer. They seek the Lord because they believe the truth that the wise men of Babylon could only say. No one can show this to the king except the gods. So they cry out to God. And what do we find? God is faithful. God reveals the meaning of the dream to Daniel in verse 19 and tells its interpretation. So Daniel responds in prayer. And did you hear the language of his prayer? How he says, look, God, you've proven yourself again. You are the source of all wisdom. Verse 20, to God belongs wisdom and might. Verse 21, God changes times and seasons. God removes kings, sets up kings. God gives wisdom. Verse 22, God reveals deep and hidden things. Verse 22, God alone knows what is in the darkness. Verse 23, God has given. God has made known to me what we asked of you. God is the source of wisdom. True wisdom is not from revelation or rationality. I meant not from reason or rationality, because true wisdom is from revelation. It's from revelation and relationship. Wisdom comes from God. So Daniel's brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who asks, So, Daniel, I hear you can tell me my dream and its interpretation. And I love verse 27, because Daniel goes, No. And you imagine that was probably one of those pin drop moments. So, Daniel, they told me you can you can tell me the dream and the interpretation. No. In verse 27, Daniel answers the king and says, no wise man, enchanter, magician or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. So, again, Daniel confirms what the wise men have already told him. There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Daniel says, they're right. I can't do it, king. But. But. Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Again, Daniel's confirming what the Babylonian astrologers and magicians have already said. Verse 11, the thing the king asks is difficult. No one can do it except the gods. And so Daniel says, the gods have done it. The gods have done it. God, who is the source of wisdom, has revealed this mystery. Friends, the source of ultimate wisdom is not human reason, but divine revelation. 
What we need most is not rationality. What we need most is relationship. Wisdom is ultimately found in right relationship to the God of all wisdom. The wise men in Babylon declared in verse 11, The thing the king asks is difficult. No one can show it except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. If only God would come and dwell with us. If only God would enter into relationship with us. If only God would reveal himself to us. He could make us wise. And friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news that God has done just that. Wisdom has come and taken on flesh and to make us truly wise. Every Advent, we sing multiple times over the course of the season that Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That song takes the seven great antiphons, which are part of the Roman Catholic Advent liturgy, and puts them to music. The antiphons include prophetic titles about the Messiah, the promised king that God was going to send. One of those titles was Emmanuel, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. One of them was Dayspring, O Come, O Come, Dayspring. One is Desire of Nations, O Come, O Come, Desire of Nations. And one of them is Wisdom. And we sing every Christmas season, O Come, Thou Wisdom from on high. Order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go. Ultimately, that song that we sing year after year is a prayer for the Messiah, for God's chosen, his anointed one, wisdom himself to take on flesh and come and to lead us to make all things right. And friends, that is exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. No one can show us wisdom except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So God took on flesh and he dwelt amongst us. Wisdom has come. Wisdom was not reasoned. Wisdom was revealed. Wisdom was not found by our rationality. Wisdom was found in relationship to Christ. Wisdom that reorders what we have disordered. Wisdom that reveals what is hidden to us. Wisdom that puts us into right relationship again with God and puts us into right relationship with one another. Friends, that wisdom is not found humanly. That wisdom comes from God. And for those of you that were part of our study that we wrapped up a little while ago on 1 Corinthians, you might remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 opened up with this statement about wisdom and about foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.19 For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. Friends, our human wisdom is not enough to get us to God. Our human wisdom is not enough to bring us to God, not enough to reveal God to us, not enough to fix our problems. We can't reason ourselves back to God. Human wisdom has made the problems, and that same wisdom will not fix the problems. 
Our wisdom is not great enough. And in fact, our pursuit of human wisdom usually makes us proud and foolish and actually ends up pushing us further away from God. So God humbled himself, became a human, took our place on the cross, paid the debt for our wrong. God played the fool so that we might enter into right relationship with God the wise. Because no one can show us wisdom except the gods. And so God came and took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. The problem is, is that too many, like the passage in 1 Corinthians says, too many, we prefer our own wisdom. We prefer our own understanding. We prefer our own rationality and reason. And we reject the story of Jesus and what he's done as foolishness. But friends, God's wisdom has dwelt amongst us. And I promise you that one day, friends, one day every other human wisdom is going to bow down before the wisdom of God. We know this because we already saw it begin to happen. The the wisdom of God took on flesh and was born in Bethlehem. And Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 records this is what happened. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Friends, wise men from the east, wise men from Babylon, Chaldeans, experts in reading the stars and interpreting dreams, show up seeking true wisdom. And what we find in Matthew chapter 2 is the wisdom of Babylon is now bowing before the wisdom of God in the flesh. The unwitting prayer of the Chaldeans here in Daniel is answered. No one can show us wisdom except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, now God is dwelling in the flesh, revealing wisdom. And we find the wisdom of Babylon bowing down before the true wisdom of God. And friends, understand that what happened then is going to happen increasingly more and more. And one day all human wisdom will bow before the wisdom of God. But the truly wise, the truly wise willingly bow before him right now. And the question is, will you? Will you rely on your own wisdom, the wisdom of this world, which, as we see in the beginning of Daniel, is truly foolishness and is impotent. It can't help. Wisdom which will one day all bow before the wisdom of God. Friends, in what wisdom Are you going to trust? Well, let's talk about the king's dream, which, while people make a big deal about, is actually secondary to the question that's being answered in this chapter of where is wisdom. Daniel reveals Nebuchadnezzar's dream in its revelation. We see a great statue composed of different materials. And Daniel declares to the king, he says, this statue represents the kingdom of Babylon and the various kingdoms that are going to follow. The head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar, Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Daniel says, God gave you, Nebuchadnezzar, great dominion, power, and glory. You've got dominion not only over all the human beings, but the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. It sounds like what God gave to Adam and Eve. And friends, what did Adam and Eve do with the responsibility that God had given them? They squandered it. Because they said, I'm going to trust my wisdom to rule 
and not his. And what has King Nebuchadnezzar done? I'm going to trust my wisdom to rule and not his. And so just as Adam and Eve fell into sin, so we find that Babylon will fall. This is the story of the kingdom of Babylon. It's the story of all human wisdom. It's the story of every human kingdom, friends. We who don't rule by God's wisdom, ultimately it sets us up for destruction. One day Babylon was going to fall and a new kingdom would rise, the statue's chest and arms, which were of silver in the image. Now, most understand this to be the Medo-Persian Empire, King Darius and King Cyrus, who we're going to actually meet later on in this book. And Daniel, and then after them came the middle and the thighs of bronze, which most associate with Greece under Alexander the Great. And finally, legs of iron with feet partly of iron and partly of clay, most recognize that to be the Roman Empire. As strong as iron, but also unstable because it's a composite of different peoples and ultimately it just couldn't hold together. Now, a couple of notes. First, Note that while we as humanity, what we learn from this statue, we as humanity believe that we are on a continual upward trajectory, that we as humanity are constantly getting better and better, that our wisdom is causing us to improve and improve. But what we find in this statue, friends, is not progress, but regress. We find that the material from which the kingdoms are made is less and less and less and less valuable. We find that the trajectory is not from the bottom up, but from the head down to the lowly feet. The progression of this world is not typically upwards towards glory and unity, but rather downwards towards dishonor and disunity. Because, friends, for all of our human wisdom, for all of the wisdom that we have now, has it truly made us better people? We may have progressed technologically, but are we truly becoming better and wiser people? Secondly, about this statue, you know, don't get hung up on the identification of the exact kingdoms because the most important point that's being made here is God is sovereign over it all. Notice the first words of verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar, as you looked... I love that. As you looked, Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're running history? You're a spectator to history. Because human wisdom, we think we are in control, don't we? We think we're the masters of our own fate. And he goes, no, 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 Nebuchadnezzar, you're a spectator. As you looked. The The true God in all of his sovereign action causes kingdoms to rise and fall. And finally, friends, note from this vision of the statue that all human kingdoms and wisdom will ultimately be destroyed. And the only thing that will remain is the kingdom and the wisdom of God. Verse 34, as you looked, Nebuchadnezzar, a stone was cut out by no human hands. It struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. I mean, you ever play rock, paper, scissors? This is a game of rock prophecy statue. And just like rock always beats scissors, I guess rock always beats statue. So the rock strikes the statue, 
which represents all of the kingdoms of the world, which represents the pinnacle of our human wisdom, of our human ingenuity. It's struck with a stone that it says was cut out by no human hand. No human hand? Well, that means this is divine. So during the time of the fourth kingdom, the the Roman kingdom, a stone cut by no human hand will strike and crush the kingdoms of man. And verse 35, Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces, became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. There was not a trace of them that could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Friends, during the time of the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire, a king and a kingdom did come. And that king was a stone that topples all the human wisdom and powers of this world. Jesus Christ was born, and Jesus Christ came, and he taught us about himself, quoting Psalm 118.22. Jesus said, Have you never read in the Scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And, in verse 44, the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus Christ is that stone, the stone that began small, but verse 35 declares that stone which struck the image eventually became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. Friends, Jesus came, he lived, he ministered, and he died in a small backwater region of Palestine. But now you can find adherents of his kingdom in every tribe, tongue, and nation around this globe. The kingdom is growing to be a mountain that will one day cover the whole earth. And verse 44 says, And the days of those kings, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Uh, It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and they shall stand forever. Friends, the wisdom that we need, the wisdom that is the wisdom that stands forever, is the wisdom that brings an end to all other so-called wisdom. The kingdom that we need to enter is the kingdom that we need to be a part of, is the kingdom that's going to remain, that's going to last, that's going to stand forever. So what kingdom will you be part of? What wisdom will you trust? Friends, who is wise? Where is wisdom to be found? In whom will you trust and to whom will you submit? Because this passage, this narrative, ends with this amazing vision in verse 46 through 49. It's a scene that would have kindled hope in the exiled Jewish people as they're there in Babylon. Because there is the most powerful king in the world at the time. And what does he do? He falls down and he is worshipping before the wisdom of the true God. Just as one day, centuries later, the wise men of the the East will bow down before the infant Jesus. Just as one day, every wisdom, every man, woman, and government and power will bow before the wisdom of God. We find them bowing. But friends, before whom are you going to choose to bow your life? 
Where do you believe wisdom is to be found? Friends, this chapter challenges us to ask the question, in whom and in whose wisdom will you put your trust?